Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. We have another great show today. We are going to talk about why you should temper your expectations with the new Packer defense. We'll talk Packer Saints. We'll also kind of dive into the schedule a little bit. I found some interesting nuggets, shall we say, and why I'm a little concerned with the health of Packer fans when it comes to the defense, which is always a highly contentious subject. We'll also, speaking of highly contentious, we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers, his comments about basically calling Ty Dunn a liar, as Aaron Nagler said on Twitter, um, and the media chatter around this team. You had Rob Domofsky catching some shrapnel, not from Rodgers, but from Steve DeHomer True. Really fascinating stuff there on just the media, Aaron Rodgers, and how it will be covered all season. Next, we'll talk about the Brewers' good pitching problem in lieu of their great win today against the Philadelphia Phillies. And then lastly, we will have Chuck's Corner. We are talking COVID policies, baby. I know you all are very excited for that. And that's why we put it at the end. So you guys can turn it off. You don't want to hear me get on my high horse. I'm not even really going to get on my high horse. I'm just talking about some of the idiosyncrasies with covid and some rules and you guys will love it i promise um but we'll do it at the very end of the show so in case you don't want to hear that noise i get you but like i said we're starting with the packer defense and let's waste no more time so packer defense will get set to debut the joe barry era on Sunday afternoon against the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints will be a young offense, really, an offense that is quite unknown. They do have a good offensive line, but there is a lot of moving new parts with Jameis Winston. Latavius Murray just got cut after not taking a pay cut, so you don't have him. You have Alvin Kamara. That's about it. It's about Alvin Kamara and everybody else. Alvin Kamara and a pretty good offensive line. But Marquez Callaway, who is the fantasy darling um, for a lot of people, Trey Kwan Smith, they have like no receivers. Adam Troutman, the tight end that they were hoping to be something, he's out for the first week of the season. I have no idea what this Saints offense is going to look like early on. So that could mean Joe Barry's new offense can eat. And now the Packers defense, as much as we all did not like Mike Patton and had issues with Mike Patton, they were not that bad last year. They were an average defense. They were a good, not great defense. They're probably a C defense over overall. If you go by DVOA standards, which we're going to use a lot, and if you don't use DVOA, it's on Football Outsiders. It basically sums up everything in a defense, in an offense. It's not the best explanation. I can give a better one if you want it, but I use it a lot because I think it tells a good story on where teams rank versus using something just like, oh, this team has the most yards, or they've given up the least amount, or they haven't intercepted the ball enough. This, to me, encapsulates who's good, who's not. Um, Similar to like you use War or or FIP or BABIP or something like that uh, for baseball. The Green Bay Packers have had a DVOA in 2020 of 17th overall. In the passing game, they were surprisingly 15th, and in the running game, they were 18th. Now, I say surprisingly because I feel like we all ragged on Kevin King all offseason. Everybody wanted Kevin King off. A priority for the Packers was to draft a cornerback in the first round, which they did in Eric Stokes. They wanted to improve that secondary, but in reality, the secondary was a little bit better than the run defense. And why was that? Well, Mike Patton 
and kind of tried to break the matrix in a weird way. Um, one of the cooler things about Mike Patton was he ran a lot of dime defense. And the reason he ran dime was because he always wanted to be prepared for the pass. And he would let runs happen. He would allow teams to gain yards on the Packers through the ground, which frustrated some people. And there were times where he needed to adjust and he refused. But it was a smart play given the pass-happy nature of the NFL. But it didn't work out. Mike Patton was never Matt LaFleur's guy. I don't even think Matt LaFleur really wanted him in year one. That was kind of a request of Mark Murphy and Brian Gunacus as they had brought in Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith and they wanted to keep the defense together and just say, hey, give it a year, give it a couple years, see how you feel about this. If you like it, great. If you don't, you can move on. And that's what Matt LaFleur did. He got his guy in Joe Barry. Originally, I didn't really like Joe Barry. Full transparency. I think there is a review that I did of me just not really liking what Joe Barry brought to the team just because of what he had in his other experiences as defensive coordinator. It has not been pretty. It's been very ugly. But sometimes you have to understand that coaches change, that coaches develop. He's been under the Sean McVay system. He, LaFleur and him have a relationship. LaFleur definitely wants to be involved in all facets of the game. Because as I've said before, he's a psycho. He is a guy who wants to be involved with virtually everything. And so I'm not surprised that Matt LaFleur hired somebody he knows, somebody he trusts, because I think he wants to be involved with the defense a little bit. Not necessarily in a micromanaging Mike Zimmer way, where Mike Zimmer, I think, like coaches the offense too. Like Mike Zimmer doesn't like when they pass the ball too much. Like that makes him mad. Even though he's a defensive coach, the guy runs his team like he's Mao Zedong. So yes, LaFleur is going to kind of have the defense a little bit closer to him than it had been in years past. Joe Barry is going to be on the sidelines like Patton was as LaFleur's request. And Barry seems to be also kind of a psycho. Like the guy is a classic defensive coordinator where he's moving around, high energy, just bumping into guys. Like I think that's something the Packers haven't had with a defensive coordinator in a long fucking time. Actually, I don't know if I've ever had a defensive coordinator as a fan like Joe Barry in terms of that high energy. It's always been that calm, cool demeanor. You think about Dom Capers, you never really saw Dom. He just hung out in the press box. You never really saw Fritz Shermer, if I'm not mistaken. Someone can fact check me, but I'm pretty sure Fritz was up above. You had, you just never really had that defensive coordinator that had the high energy that brought Ed Donatel, another guy who was up in the booth. And I think that sidelines can get fired up with having a guy like Joe Barry out there. I think that's really going to help. I think that's a really unique thing that the Green Bay Packers have this season. As for, you know, his defense, we don't really know what we're going to get. We know that there are things. We know he has a star. We know he's probably going to be a little bit different than Mike Patton. I'll be curious to see how much they defend the run. I'll be curious to see what their passing schemes look like. They're blitzing. Are they going to blitz a ton? What, what really is going to be there for Barry and the Packer defense? And it's very possible that Green Bay absolutely steamrolls the Saints offense uh, in week one. And I think if that happens, the overreaction, it's always overreaction Monday. It's like a fucking holiday at this point after the first week of the NFL season. But 
everybody will be going crazy about Green Bay's defense. I can see that being a storyline. Like I can see Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal get in the booth on Sunday night talking about, well, I didn't know Green Bay's defense was this good. They picked off Jameis four times. They forced two fumbles. They look like an absolute juggernaut. And I could see everybody sort of buying into this Packer defense. In fact, I think I, I don't think I did actually in a fantasy draft draft the Packers because I, I do think the Packers are a great fantasy option for the first two weeks of the season. Because then the week after they get the Lions, and the Lions are very similar in the fact that you have Jared Goff, you have a bunch of receivers who haven't really played with each other. Yeah, you have TJ Hawkinson, the line is just okay. DeAndre Swift's a pretty good running back. You have Jamal Williams, say Jamal Williams, you have a good two-headed attack. But again, the Lions are going to take some time to develop. The Lions are not going to have a explosive offense all season. Also, they're coached by Anthony Lynn, who's one of the worst offensive coordinators in football. Just going against Anthony Lynn is three or four points easy. So that's another factor. So for the first two weeks, Green Bay is going to get to show their teeth, and a lot of people will probably be riding high. And even... Lilith, I know. I know you're excited about the Packer defense, too. I'm taping this in my living room, by the way, because my wife is at a concert in Madison this evening, so I'm doing this in my living room. If I was single, this is probably what I would usually do, and I guarantee you a podcast mic sitting out on my coffee table would probably be the least likely thing to get me laid. So it's a good thing I'm married, right? Because <laughs> um, I could do these things and not worry about it. So I apologize if my dog barks and then your dog barks, a um, mia copa. Um, but maybe we'll edit out other ones. But when it works, when I'm able to catch it on the fly, we'll go. And hopefully that's the uh, last bark of the evening from the Lil Star. All right. So Joe Barry, yes. So two games, Joe Barry's going to be everything. I think people are going to be hyping him up. I think there's going to be a lot of noise around this Packer defense. And then you face the San Francisco 49ers. And even then, say Jimmy Garoppolo is out there. The Niners last year were 20th in offensive DVOA, 22nd in the pass, 15 in the run. Now, they're a revised, revived team. They had a ton of injuries early on. They should have all their guys back, barring any injuries early this season, with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Moser, Brandon Ayuk, Devo Samuel, George Kittle. Like They have a full arsenal. They're, the Niners are going to be a very good offense that the Packers face. But last season, they weren't that great. So this will be the first real test for what Joe Barry has. And maybe they're not as good. Maybe the Packers do lose this game. And everybody's like, well, hashtag fire Joe Barry. And I think that would be you know, tongue-in-cheek, as I know... Uh, Jason Willie loves to do because uh, he still holds on to the fire capers like he still has fire caper stock after all these years so yes you have a San Francisco team while on paper they look good they still might take some time there's still a lot of unknowns about Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of a dead man walking if the, the Packers were to beat the 49ers at home on a Sunday night I think the, and let's say Garoppolo struggles against his new Packer defense I think that that might be the Trey Lance bat signal. I think there will be a lot of talk about is Trey Lance going to start in week four if that's the case. But you, I think it's more likely Barry struggles in that game. Then you have Big Ben, who's 22nd, Pittsburgh Steelers. They were 21st in passing DVOA, 30th in rush defense. 
uh, rushing DVOA. Um, I probably shouldn't just say DVOA every time because it trips me up. But Big Ben looks like he's returning to form. Najee Harris is a stud. That Pittsburgh team is entirely different. So again, another team where we do not know what to expect on offense. Like, it is completely unpredictable. So now we're four for four on sort of this unpredictable start for the Packers from a defensive side of things. Guess what? Week five, same fucking thing. You have the Cincinnati Bengals, 29th last year. Joe Burrow missed most of the year. Joe Mixon didn't play a bunch. They're both back. They tried to improve their offensive line. They have pretty good receivers in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. What could the could the Bengals be a lot better? Who knows? Again, totally unpredictable. Week six, it still continues. Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, who knows? David Montgomery, yes. So a lot of the Bears are the same as last year, but the quarterback is still brand new. And then lastly, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Again, another new quarterback. And then a Redskins team, or excuse me, the football team, that should be pretty good and a much improved offense from last year where they were 32nd in DVOA. So the first seven weeks of Joe Barry's tenure is a complete crapshoot. We should not put any sort of expectations on Joe Barry's start because there's no way to know what any of these teams are going to look like offensively. Sure, on paper, Pittsburgh looks like a juggernaut and looks like a team who's ready for an offensive revival. But what's to say they will? What's to say Big Ben's not going to revert back to form? What if Joe Burrow really struggles with his ACL and the Bengals are shell of themselves offensively because Burrow is not fully healthy? What if the Bears decide to go with Justin Fields by week six? I mean, there's so many what ifs in the first seven weeks of the season that we really can't formulate any takes around Joe Barry. And even Arizona the week after. Now, Arizona, well-established, right? But they weren't that good last year offensively. Even though we all sucked Kyler Murray's deck at some point, we all were like, wow, I wish Kyler Murray was on my fantasy team. I'm sure you had that conversation in your head or with your significant other or with a buddy, whatever. We all did, okay? But they were only 19th in DVOA last year. They weren't that impressive in terms of the offense. And I think they are terribly coached in Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's the worst coach in football. I, I'm pretty, no, the Houston coach is really bad. I Maybe Cliff after that. I don't know about Urban Meyer yet. Jury's still out there. I think Dan Campbell is actually going to win some games this year. Like Everybody thinks the Lions are going to be horrible. I bet the Lions are going to surprise a few teams. Like I'm kind of thinking, we'll talk about it on Friday when we do a bunch of betting stuff, but I'm kind of thinking about taking the Lions in the money line. Like I, I, it's just it's such a classic week one game, right? Like everybody's hyping up the Niners, everybody's getting all excited, and the Lions are at home. Dan Campbell, just a fucking awesome motivator. That shine is gonna at least stay on for the first three or four weeks. It's something I worry about with the Packers next week. People are telling me I'm crazy. Just saying, I'm, I'm literally telling you right now. Do not be surprised if that game is close, uh, because I, I'm just gonna sat on this take. I've seen this before, okay? So don't be surprised if the Lions come out firing early on. 
And that's where, and you always have week one upsets. You just got to find them. Sometimes you're way off and you're really wrong, and, and that it is what it is. That's gambling, right? We'll talk about it more on Friday. But so there's just, to go back to Joe Barry, we don't know what we're getting. We're going to finally find out in the middle of the season in the, and really at the tail end of the season. With the DVOA numbers from 2020, the Green Bay Packers will play seven of eight teams in the top 10 of DVOA, twice with the Minnesota Vikings, in the last eight games of the season. The only team that will not be in the top 10 in DVOA from last year was the Chicago Bears. And the Chicago Bears, if Justin Fields becomes a lightning rod, they are going to be a top 10 offense. You have to face Kansas City, Seattle, Minnesota twice, LA, Baltimore, Cleveland. All of those teams are in the top 10, actually more like top 12. The Baltimore was 11th last year, thanks to uh, everyone who stat checks me there. And then you get Detroit. So 7-9 and nine officially, but a stretch that will feature 7-8 of eight against the top 12 in DVOA offensively. That is when we are going to find out about Joe Barry. I'm not saying he needs to pitch a perfect game. I'm not saying every game needs to be flawless from the Packer offense. Or defense, excuse me. But that is when we are going to learn about Joe Barry. That is when we are it, the chickens are going to come to roost. I'm not saying that we're going to need to fire a guy after year one. I know there will be Packer fans if Barry struggles. There will be people like, oh, you know, uh, I just don't know about that Barry guy. Uh, he just, I, I didn't like Patton. I, I certainly didn't like Capers, man. I, I had a fire Capers hat. But I, this Barry guy just ain't working, man. We got to go somewhere else. Maybe Rex Ryan's still available. I have so many pin takes about the defense because they you always have pin takes about the defense because there's not really that Aaron Rodgers on defense where like I feel like Aaron Rodgers kind of is like, well, Rodgers did this and we make excuses for Rodgers even when he struggles. You don't really have that on defense. So Joe Barry is going to be, it's going to be an unpredictable defense. I know we didn't talk a ton about the Packers defense against the Saints, but in reality, we don't know what this Saints offense is going to bring. I feel very confident with this defense against Jameis Winston, especially with guys like Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, all guys who can be ball hunters. And I do think they're going to pick Jameis off a couple times. And I think there's going to be high praise for this defense come Monday. But again, we don't know. And if it's, oh, here we go again, hopefully Packer fans can hold their water for a little longer than just one week. Let's stick with the Packers for a little bit and let's talk Aaron Rodgers and his comments made to Pat McAfee yesterday. As I wrote in the blog this morning, tappingthekegsports.com, Aaron Rodgers' Pat McAfee quotes are candy to all of us that create content for the Packers, whether we are doing this, podcasting in our living room, or we're doing local radio, uh, whether it's Bart Winkler, whether it's Gabe Neitzel, they are probably going to have an Aaron Rodgers topic that is around what Pat McAfee and him talked about yesterday. It's content gold. It's great that we have that access. And I'm sure it bothers some big J's here locally. They don't have that same kind of access to Rodgers. Although I think it's easy for Rodgers to talk to McAfee when the dude is kissing his feet the entire time. I love Pat McAfee. I think he's really talented, but he needs to just take a step back in terms of his like 
adoration for Aaron Rodgers. The only one I've seen adore Aaron Rodgers more is our friend Murph. But that's another story for another time. In that interview, they had an enlightening conversation. In the interview with Pat McAfee, they had an enlightening conversation about certain comments that were made all last season. Tyler Dunn had reported that Aaron Rodgers was told by Mark Murphy to not be the problem when Matt LaFleur was hired, that Mark Murphy sternly told that to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers stated, and I quote, that never happened, that never fucking happened. So he was, and it was adamant. Like you watch that clip, like Aaron Rodgers was not fucking around at all with that. That was not joking Aaron Rodgers that wasn't Osh Chucks Aaron Rodgers that wasn't Steve Zazu Aaron Rodgers that was serious game face Aaron Rodgers and I think him and Tyler Don have quite the rivalry as media versus player and Tyler Don has ridden very hard for Jordan Love I do not think that is a mistake right like I think that he loves Jordan Love because of his disdain for Aaron Rodgers and what he's learned about Aaron Rodgers throughout the years. But it's been a player versus media debate for really the last, what now, we're going on three years because Dunn broke the McCarthy story. There were things that Rodgers said and there were fabricated. And that has been sort of the do do really for the last three years. I kind of just want to see these guys fight and see what happens or have Ty Dunn show up to a Packer game, whether it's Packers Saints, Packers Lions, and then ask Aaron a question and then get your popcorn out because I think it will get really nasty. Now, Rodgers is a professional, but I wonder if he'd be able to hold it all together. So what do you believe here? Well, I talked a little bit about this on the mini keg. It's on TikTok. It's on Instagram. It's having the keg sports on both of those. So I won't try to repeat it too much, but I will say this as someone who used to be a big J. Well, not really a big J. I took big J classes. Let's just put it that way. Um, I graduated with a big J degree. In these scenarios, sometimes your sources aren't always entirely accurate. Now, you always want to have accurate sources, but maybe Mark Murphy and Aaron Rodgers had a conversation about Matt LaFleur after LaFleur was hired. That part could be true. Now, him telling him to be the problem, maybe that was untrue. Maybe that was something Mark Murphy told his buddies, he said. And the source that Dunn is getting from is that buddy. Like Murphy was sitting around Green Bay Country Club, which also got a shrapnel shot from Rogers in the McAfee uh, interview. Maybe he's sitting around having a whiskey and saying like, yeah, I told Aaron, don't be the problem. Murphy might have not actually said it to Rogers directly. It might have been something that was heard. So Rogers going back and saying that never fucking happened. Yeah, it probably it never happened to Aaron Rodgers, but it's not to say maybe Mark Murphy was thinking about it. I do love that Rodgers calls him out on his shit, though. That, to me, is awesome. That makes for such more fun engagement, entertainment throughout the year. Like, we're going to have a blast. Like, this is not going to be a normal football season by any shape of the imagination. I mean, you had Steve the Homer True take out the AK-47 on Rob Domofsky. Rob Domofsky, 
a pretty established guy, a guy that works with Steve the Homer True because they're all kind of part of the ESPN family. But here's what Steve the Homer True said to Rob Domofsky earlier today. So Domofsky had an article that came out. Aaron Rodgers will be back as the Packers quarterback in 2022 if dot dot dot. We finished the sentence plus a breakout player and make a bold prediction in our team capsule preview. So this was an article for ESPN. Steve the Homer True quote tweeted that and said, since you said it was less than 5% that Rodgers would be playing in Green Bay again this year, when do you get 12's credibility back? Whew. Oh boy. That is a heater. That is an absolute fucking flamethrower by Steve the Homer True. Like, not messing around. And I think you're going to get a lot of that. Like, I'm looking at this as somebody who doesn't have that many media contacts. And I've debated for a long time. I'm like, all right, look. I can shower these guys with praise. I can hype them up. I mean, journalists love Twitter more than I think I do. Like, they love getting the well wishes. You know, I, I know Todd McShay is going through something. And obviously, I wish him well, even though Todd McShay doesn't know who the fuck I am. But I, I saw it when Todd McShay tweeted that out. The dude had so many well wishes from blue check marks. Holy hell. Like, that has to be an amazing feeling if you're like, yeah, I'm not doing so hot. And then having everybody be like, hey, man, feel better. Like, that's that has to be a great feeling. That's like my mom, who's like in her 60s, posted some wedding photos. And in a, a hour, she had fucking like 26 comments. That's awesome. That's engagement I kill for. I would snort that engagement right up my nose. But I don't get that, unfortunately. But the point of it, this is, is like, I debate whether I want to like go at the media. I've been like, should I be a friend of the media? Should I be a foe of the media? Because I know if I start writing about the media and I start being critical, if I blog this story, uh, shall we say, um, I know that there's going to be people that will read that. I know there will be people that will talk about it. So you ask yourself, do you want people to talk about you or not? Do you want to hang out the shadows or do you just kind of want to bring it? I kind of want to bring it. I'm 33. I have a day job. I, I don't necessarily need friends. I would like friends in the media. I'd like people to respect me. So I don't want to burn bridges. And that that's the part that I I always struggle with. So I don't know. If you guys have a take, I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear what you would say, what you would do. Um, it's not an easy thing for me. I feel like you got to pick your spots. Like I should have probably roasted Tom Oates for a take he had last, last Saturday. Even though everybody's like, Tom Oates is a great guy. I'm sure he is. He's a fucking awful person on Twitter. It's how a lot of people are, though. I, I swear. I'm sure if I met, like, and Rob Domofsky's fine. Like, whatever. Um, but Rob Domofsky, like, it's true. Like, Rob Domofsky has to live with the 5% thing for a while, unfortunately. And, yeah, he made a mistake. And whether it was a mistake on his behalf, if it was bad intel, if it was him trying to drum up his popularity in ESPN, which I don't blame him, right? Like ESPN's a big place and should it be a notable face that people go to and that Greeny has on Get Up all the time? 
that just helps your brand that expand exposes expands your brand and makes you a bigger person but then rob domofsky also tried to put himself into a media story around brant bronson kafusi last week uh, where there was like the jesus rob thing which i didn't talk about too much i probably should have and so that's where I get like, oh, should I blog about this or not? I don't know, man. It's I've spent way too much time on this. I The media stuff fascinates me. I nerd out over it. We have a group chat that talks about this shit all the time. If you guys like this stuff, please let me know. If you don't and you're like, Charlie, shut the fuck up. Please tell me. I, I am not going to be offended. I just have no idea how if people care or not. So get a heat check from you all. Let's talk about some brewers. Milwaukee Brewers bounced back in a big way today. They won 10 to nothing um, after losing 11 to nothing or 12 to nothing the day before. The last time that has happened to the Brewers was in 2006. They won 11 to nothing against Cincinnati on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, they lost 11 to nothing. If you're curious who the starters were, the winner in the 11 to nothing game is now Boston Red Sox pitching coach Dave Bush. And the loser in the 11 nothing game was Doug Davis. Doug Davis was a special piece of shit with that little soul patch that he had on. But the Brewers were rocking and rolling in this game, especially Eric Lauer. We talked a little bit about Eric Lauer throughout really the last like week or so, right? Uh, Lauer had a great performance against the San Francisco Giants. He had another good performance in this one. Eric Lauer was dominant to say the least. Eric Lauer went seven innings, four hits allowed, no runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. Eric Lauer's ERA is down to 3.18. He's been great for the Brewers of late and has really turned around his career. And you think about the San Diego Padres, who've struggled really in their pitching staff besides Blake Snell. Yu Darvish hasn't been that great of late. Um, they don't really have any depth after Snell and Darvish. Think they could use Eric Lauer in that rotation right now? You bet your ass they could. And Eric Lauer's been great for the Brewers and presents a great problem for Milwaukee come the postseason. With how good Adrian Hauser's been so far, there is a real competition between Lauer and Hauser down the stretch here. And competition is a great thing. That is something you want in the final month of the po- of the season, especially when you're 30 games up on up on the year and you're 11 games up on the division. Like there isn't much left to play for. The Brewers probably not going to get the one seed, and hell, I don't think they want it. And they're going to put the team on ice for the last two weeks of the season. You won't see a lot of Christian Yelich. You won't see a lot of Lorenzo Cain. You will not see Willie Adamas. You might see a little more Adamas just because of the quad injury and they want to get him warmed up. Colton Wong is another guy I don't think you'll see too much of. That's what the Brewers want. That's what they want to accomplish. But Lauer and Hauser will be battling until the end of the season. And what I think the Brewers will end up doing is they will use these guys like a piggyback. In the best case scenario possible, however the team shakes up, either Lauer or Hauser will get the ball for four innings. After those four innings are up, the other guy takes the mound. They hopefully go for four, and then Josh Hader shuts the door in the ninth. That's the optimal way to do this. Now you could do it like three and three. You could do one pitches four, one pitches three. However you want to skin this cat, 
they're going to ride the piggyback and they've done this before in the regular season i feel like they might have done it a little bit in the postseason as well they're not afraid to do something like this and hauser and lauer both have experience pitching out of the pen this season which i praised the brewers on monday for having really all their starters have bullpen experience i don't know if brett anderson has as much but everybody else does in fact i think what the brewers should do as brett anderson with the shoulder injury has kind of got wally pipped here and is the sixth maybe even the seventh guy right now in terms of starting pitching because i look at aaron ashby and i know he's a young guy but like aaron ashby has stuff like I personally think Aaron Ashby's a guy you can put out there for two innings in the playoffs, especially because he gets ground balls and he, he gets ground balls and strikeouts. He kind of has a little bit of that Logan Webb. Like, do you, have you, have you ever looked at Logan Webb's ground ball, the fat fly ball splits? It's absurd. Logan Webb's been one of the best pitchers in baseball that no one talks about. He's been so good for the Giants in the last like six weeks. He's going to be a superstar. Guys, definitely someone to keep an eye out next year and beyond. So Aaron Ashby kind of has that too. And you tell me, all right, we're going to put Aaron out there in the sixth inning and we just need him to get a couple ground balls to get out of an inning. Let's say they put a runner on, right? Can you really trust a guy like that in high leverage? I don't know, maybe. You're going to have to, and you're going to have to experiment. And that's kind of what clinching the division early will allow you to do. It'll allow Craig Council for two weeks to fuck around with his entire team which he will love. Like Craig Council, that's porn right there. Like that is Jenna Jameson's greatest hits for Craig Council, where he just gets to mess around with lineups, with pitching orders, with, you know, putting guys in different situations. Like that is Craig Council's dream. And this is such a good problem to have. The Brewers, as I said so often on Monday show, and I overuse this word, embarrassment of riches, man. This is awesome. This is like, wow, we have a really good fucking team, don't we? There are games where you just realize it. Today was one of those days where you look at it and you're like, holy shit, no one's beating this team. Because you have Eric Lauer, you're really your fifth starter at this point, going seven innings, having a 3-1-8 ERA, being pretty much dominant throughout, throughout the game. No one really touched Lauer. No one really got close. He was awesome. Outpitched Aaron Nola by far. Who Aaron Nola continues to be a disaster on the road, losing yet another game on the road for the Phillies. But yeah, man. And then the offense, 10 runs. After getting shut out and really kind of not performing well the last few few games. Like the I've I haven't really been that satisfied with the Brewers offense. They've kind of left me a little cold. I think really this is their first big offensive output since that second game against San Francisco but really if you kind of go back to like the Reds loss they had where they lost five to one the Brewers offense has not really been that exciting Um, they have had a couple games with five or more runs but it hasn't been the same consistency and the Brewers showed that a little bit today and hopefully they can follow up with it tomorrow but yeah three runs in the third three in the sixth two in the seventh and the eighth like they just kept a Attacking the Phillies bullpen, which is not great. Christian Yelich, a three-hit game. He had a lot of encouraging comments after the game, too. Yelich said this to Adam McCalvey. Let me pull that up. He says, I think I feel better right now than I have at points in the season. Having good at-bats and putting good swings on balls, not all of them, have been falling. It seems like a lot 
have been hitting guys square in the chest actually but it's nice to have better at bats and feel like you're in a little a little bit of control out there instead of all that other bullshit we were rolling out there earlier in the season first of all i love that both rogers and yelich uh cursed in their like notable comments of the day um second i he's feeling good man like i watched i watched the whole game today and yelich's at bats were pure like he flushed that one up the middle in the fourth inning the double he had was incredible um, the, and also too um unrelated to yelich the Odyssey garcia home run was unbelievable i mean that thing flew just unbelievable murdering of a baseball from avisail garcia you love to see it but yeah great win for the brewers uh they played really well tonight hopefully they can get another win against the phillies as they go on wednesday with kyle gibson and freddie peralta facing off we will be podcasting mission i doing like a more of an nfl preview so we won't probably talk too much about the brewers just because there'll be a game in action we try we're trying really hard to avoid that um as we've gotten older and gotten better at this thing um but yeah it's just the nature of the beast this week unfortunately so let's hope the brewers get it done and send them off on the right foot to their road trip through the rust belt all right chuck's corner COVID corner, if you will. Um, That's what my friends called it. I should have branded COVID corner when I was talking about COVID on this podcast. I'm probably talking about it too much. I think I alienated a lot of people. Thankfully, I've gained those followers back. Thank you for following me on Twitter after, you know, I I thought I had too many COVID takes and I've I've talked about that in the past and we can do a whole thing about sticking to sports because I I really believe strongly in sticking to sports. It's weird. I hate the term. I, it drives me crazy. You guys know it. It's one of my least favorite terms. Class is right up there with it. But I do think the point of sticking to sports matters. But we don't We don't need to talk about that today. I wanted to talk about an experience I had over the weekend. So I had to see our boy Mitch perform. He performed at a club. I will not say the name of the club. You could probably guess it if you know Milwaukee. But the place required a vaccine card. And I was like, all right, you know okay not a problem i'm not gonna fight that i'm fully vaccinated i've been vaccinated since march i believe get vaccinated if you have it there's no microchip in me you'll feel good you feel safe you just feel like you're more at peace with everything you do in life but if you, it's your choice not to get vaccinated hey it's, it's your call i'm not gonna not gonna judge you it's your personal freedom okay that was my little mini soapbox there so anyways i had to show my vaccine card fine first time i've done it was like okay show my card he looks at me and goes hey can you put on a mask and i'm like um yeah and like i'm never i don't want to be a dick to these people because first of all this job sucks okay like they're bouncing at the door now this guy does not look like a bouncer like i could easily have thrown him through the fucking window if i wanted to i would never but i'm just saying this guy was a skinny hipster bitch let's just put it that way okay i was gonna call him it's gonna implicate where he's from but then you'd probably know the club and then you do that so i'm not I'm, again not trying to call the club out anyways i i fight it a little bit i just ask him and i and in a full respectful manner my wife not happy about it because she doesn't like when i when i'm rude to customer service which i get and i i wasn't being rude 
all I said to him was like, hey, walk me through this. Like, walk me through why I have to wear this. I thought the whole reason we're showing you this Vax card is so we don't have to wear masks because everybody is protected here. We're all vaccinated. That's great. And he says, well, it's the slow to spread. Something we heard back in March of 2020. Are you fucking kidding me? To slow the spread of COVID-19 with fully vaccinated people in a pretty spacious area. I wouldn't say that we were keeping six feet, shall we say, but we were at least like three feet within each other. It was some of the biggest bullshit that I have dealt with during COVID through my entire time of COVID for the last like 18 months. It just absolute backwards thinking. And it's even more backwards when the New York Times, have you heard of them? They came out and their newsletter, which is good. If you Even if you don't like the Times, if you don't lean that way, the New York Times newsletter in the morning is like must read shit. David Leinhart, whatever, had an article out today about it and saying that basically the studies have found that one in 10,000 or one in 5,000, he said, and then a doctor, I'll get his name, uh, said it was more like one in 10,000 are likely to catch COVID or likely to spread COVID if they are vaccinated. That was the report out from the New York Times. And like I said, if we're following science, here we go. And Ashish Jha, excuse me, he said, suggests that breakthrough infection could spread is or one in 500 is a, just a breakthrough infection. So this isn't even spreading it. This is a breakthrough infection on any given day. I have a one in 5,000 chance of getting it because I'm vaccinated. Ja, Dr. Jha thinks it's closer to one in 10,000. And then he follows up, he doubles down and says, if you live in a lower infected state, which Wisconsin definitely isn't, like Massachusetts or Rhode Island, it's probably closer to one in 20,000. Think about that, okay? Just really think about this for a second. And this fucking club had us wear masks, disposable masks, which by the way, there was a report out like a week ago that disposable masks don't do shit. (laughs) So what are we doing here? It's okay to be normal again. We have to get back to normalcy. We can't keep fucking doing this. There's no way our economy is going to revive itself unless we stop being scared. There's right now a culture war brewing about all the college football games over the weekend. The right's using it as this is what real America looks like. Dr. Fauci, oh, I'm concerned about everybody, even though we're outdoors. And out, what, like, everything doesn't have to be fucking political, guys. We can go back to normal. Hopefully everybody's vaccinated. But if you're, you aren't, yes, you know the risks. You should wear a mask. But even if you wear a cloth mask, I don't know how much they're going to be protecting anybody. So that is the COVID corner for the day. Hopefully our last COVID, not a last COVID corner, but like I just need to tell you guys some of this experience because A, my wife hates hearing me talk about this. And B, I just, it's a good release for me. It makes me feel good. I don't have a lot of people to talk about it. So if you guys hate it, you guys like, yeah, we turned it off before COVID corner. I get it. But 
Um, also, too, just really quickly, the NFLPA wanting daily testing with all this numbers is so fucking stupid. But that's that's just going to blow up in their face. So they can do that. Well, we can talk about that on another COVID corner. But that actually might be an NFL topic if, like, the Packers have a bunch of COVID infections or something like that. All right, that does it for today. We will be back tomorrow with Mitch. I know I said that yesterday. I mean it this time. We'll be back with Mitch tomorrow. So look forward to that. We will also then do Should I Bet My Team, both college and pro on Friday. We will start with pro and then we will go to college and yeah, talk bets a little bit. Friday will be a little more loose, preview the Brewers Indian series. And yeah, that'll be probably Friday and then we'll be good to go. May talk a little 9-11 to Chuck's Corner. Um, I just, my experience, my 20 years, I, I, it's been in the news a lot. I've think thought about it a lot this week and we'll we can maybe do a little bit on 9-11 um to finish off the show on friday as well all right take care guys have a good wednesday back tomorrow see you bye